Welcome to the Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker. I am an author, speaker, and professor of Holy Land Studies at the Israel Bible Center. I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. And I love having geeky conversations with people about new things. In this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. These are some of my favorite dialogues because as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we know that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. Happy New Year to everyone. I hope your holidays were safe and healthy and that you found moments of peace and joy. Here on the Israel Bible Podcast, we are trying something new. Since this is a new year, I thought we should start with the basics of biblical interpretation. I will admit I am biased, but I think those foundations begin with the physical context where events happened. Since we are going to be talking about my course called Listening to the Land of the Bible Part One, I enlisted the help of one of IBC's best interviewers, Dr. Yeshaya Gruber. Dr. Gruber is the professor of Jewish history and culture at IBC, and he conducts all of the roundtable talks with world-renowned scholars. If you haven't tapped into that resource yet, you are missing out. Instead of me simply talking about my own course, I asked Dr. Gruber to help me out by taking over the role of interviewer for the next couple episodes of the podcast. Why is it that I feel so nervous? Okay, here we go. Thank you for being here and for taking on the role. It is my privilege and honor. I am really thrilled to be able to ask you about your courses on listening to the land of the Bible. Just in case anyone doesn't know, Dr. Cindy Parker is professor of Holy Land Studies at the Israel Bible Center and the usual host of the Israel Bible podcast. <laughs> That's right. I get to sit in her chair, so to speak, today and ask her questions, and I'm sure it's going to be a really fascinating and interesting discussion. Um, Cindy, I've been looking forward to this so much. I was reviewing your course, and it is fabulous. I just love it. Everyone who listens to it or watches it really enjoys it thoroughly. And I mean, some people, when they think of geography, they think of a school subject that they maybe had in sixth grade that was not so interesting. It was That's very right. dry, like the earth in some places, and yep. not so linked perhaps to anything that would stir the heart or the emotions, or for that matter, linked to the Bible. Right. But you have a course called L Listening to the Land of the Bible One, right. and that's what we want to focus on today. So let me just start with this question. What does it mean to listen to the land of the Bible. And I think if you give us a few words about that, people will already sense how exciting this course actually is and how it really speaks to the inner soul and the heart of anyone who's interested nice. in these ancient texts. I would have been among those people who thought geography was an <laughs> awful thing. <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> pulling back terrible memories of memorizing names of countries and capital cities and just things that didn't seem relevant to life until I did my graduate work. And I went to Israel 
in particular to look at the land of the Bible. And the whole reason I went is because I was complaining to a professor about how these theological classes we were taking were so esoteric in a way. They just were floating around in the atmosphere. And I, I was really hungry for something real, real life, real people, real history. And how do we know that it's real? And how do we relate to them? And and all those kinds of things. And this professor said, you should just go. You need to put your feet on the ground and walk the ground. And then everything else makes sense. And so I went and it was a surprising experience for me because I didn't come from a family that thought going to Israel was a pilgrimage that one should do. <laughs> it, But when I went and was looking specifically at the land and characteristics of the land, there were a few things that happened. One, the land got into my bones um, and I I could feel it. I, I really felt like where the land is dusty, where is it muddy, where is there hot sun, where is there shade, all these different things. And suddenly, as I was reading, taking all of these images and experiences and knowledge of the land of the Bible, I started when I was reading the biblical text, seeing land imagery everywhere. And so suddenly this kind of two-dimensional black and white text that I had been reading and studying expanded massively into three dimensions and multicolors to images that I really could relate to. And so everything about how I approached the Bible, how I understood the Bible, how I understood the history in the Bible, decisions that people were making suddenly jumped to a whole other level that I otherwise would never be able to grasp. So I do now try to avoid the word geography when I'm writing <laughs> or in courses because it scares people away. But the course name, Listening to the Land of the Bible, comes out of my belief that the land of the Bible is like another character in the text. And it's a character we overlook or we don't think is important. But I really think that if you get to know that character, that character tells you all these little secrets that aren't really explicit in the text. Sometimes they are explicit, we just overlook it. But they tell you all these little secrets that just make the stories, the narratives so much more fascinating. Hmm. That's for sure. I think it's probably not even an exaggeration to say that it's not possible to understand the biblical stories without understanding the land of Israel. You said it's often overlooked, and undoubtedly that's true for many readers, but it is so built in, so integral to all of the stories in Genesis, to the instructions in Deuteronomy, to the poetry that we find in later books. It's just always there. You say it's a character, but it's almost like it is the foundational character or the, sta yeah. the whole stage within which the other characters can then um, yeah, have their their drama. So listening to the land of the Bible is so important. It, it implies that the land itself is saying certain things yeah. to us. I wonder, do you have uh, one or two examples that you want to bring out of just more specific things of how we could see the land itself speaking yeah. uh, in the biblical context? Yeah. Uh, 
there are so many. There are so many, I couldn't even put them all in the course, <laughs> right? It's just, there's so many like really beautiful things. And I I love what you said, because I think that there's geographical information on every page in the Bible. And the people of the Bible were so intimately connected to the land. And we in modern day, most of us are not very connected to the land. So I can ask my students, when you go to the grocery store, is it uphill or downhill from where you live? And most people I talk to, at least in North America, say they don't know because <laughs> they get in a car and drive and they have no idea. Unless you're walking on the land, we don't notice the inclines and the declines. You know, So in very basic ways, we ignore the land that is around us. A bit different from an ancient shepherd, for example. Absolutely. They had to pay so much attention to almost the mood of the land. Like, is the land angry? Is it happy? Is it providing what I need? Is it withholding what I need? And even in the biblical text, the writers give the land a personality. So the land itself seems to have emotion even in the biblical text, if we pay enough attention to it. Can I interrupt you just for yeah. a second? Um, another emotion is, you know, if the people don't behave properly, the land will spit them out, it says. Right. Yeah. So it has the whole gamut of emotions. It has the whole range. Yeah, there's always this, like, the yawning, the earth splitting open and swallowing people or spitting them out. It's absolutely beautiful. And I think because it is so integral into the the text, it influences the theology we build from the text. The example I love to use because this struck me so hard the very first time I went and saw the land. And I've taught in places all around the world. And this example, it's, it's an easy one to relate to. So I'm going to use Psalm 23 because it is very beloved. People love it. When I ask people to quote it, they usually, at least they know the first couple verses, the Lord is my shepherd. And so even just that right away, for anyone who knows the land, that brings to mind an entire landscape, an entire way of living in the environment. Okay, but the Lord is the shepherd. So we're talking about the Lord here. So God is our shepherd. And then it goes on and it turns personal, right? I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, I grew up in North America in an urban environment. There were no sheep anywhere. And so whenever I heard this psalm or saw pictures of it, the, the picture that was formed was always something like this big, white, fluffy sheep in this huge green landscape, maybe in a paddock with a fence around it. The shepherd was nowhere to be found. And that became the idea of what Psalm 23 was all about, that for some reason, God's job as the shepherd was to take you into this lush, green, amazing field where you can sit and eat all the grass that you want. And that equals peace, right? Which has a really interesting connotation in your head if you're like, that's telling you what you're expecting out of God as the shepherd and what your role as the sheep is all about. 
Now, when I went to Israel and we would hike all over the place and we would stop and talk to Bedouin and I would see how people actually, like where they took their sheep when they were shepherds. It's a whole different environment than the pictures of Ireland that I had in my head or the pictures of New Zealand and the South Island that are so lush. One, the sheep are really dirty. Two, they're not like those fluffy, you just want to like hug them kind of sheep. Two, the landscape is extremely harsh and dangerous. There's crevices, there's cliff faces, the, there's rocks you can slip on and fall. There's scorpions. There are all these animals out there that can kill you or create harm. And suddenly when I thought, wow, this is where, if David wrote this psalm, we often attribute it to him, if David wrote this psalm, that's the landscape David would have been in, which means now the entire theology that I think of related to what is God's role as a shepherd. He has to keep his sheep safe in a very dangerous environment. He has to take them to water where water is not obvious on the landscape. And my role as sheep in that is I have to get up and follow the shepherd. Like I, I don't get to just sit and become complacent and eat and stuff myself and take naps. You know, I have to get up and follow my shepherd in order to stay alive. So, so this type of, if we can actually listen to these Psalms in the way the land speaks them back to us, I think it influences the theology that, that we take away from from that text yeah for sure so many of these um songs or poems or stories feel very very differently um, right. if you are keeping in mind the actual setting the actual historical and physical setting i won't use the word geography but yeah. <laughs> you said you want to avoid that don't scare but, people um, <laughs> away <laughs> right <laughs> but the actual place where these events are taking place and that the writers are thinking about and it, it, it's really amazing how closely to the land all of the the texts are related yeah. um, maybe we'll get to that a little bit later on some some more examples really interesting ones and you have um, dozens of them in your course but one fascinating thing that you say in the course which is related to what you were saying about the role of the divine the, of God as the shepherd uh, God of Israel as the shepherd of Israel, for example, is that anyone who lives in the land of Israel has to rely on God. Mm -hmm. And you can tell this just from the nature of the land. Yep. Can you explain that to us? Yes. There, and again, all because I always use the book of Deuteronomy because that's like my my crush in the Bible is on the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> so I'm going to use the words of Deuteronomy here. Deuteronomy, for me, Deuteronomy is a book that if it were personified, it would have its hands dirty with the soil of the land. The book uses the land, the reality of the land all the time to communicate all kinds of amazing lessons. And Deuteronomy 11 is is one of those places. So 
the way Deuteronomy is written, right? It's Moses explaining to the people what land they're getting ready to go into and how to behave once they go into that land. And Deuteronomy 11 sets up this really interesting comparison because it says this land flowing with milk and honey or gushing milk and honey, this land you're going into. And then it starts by saying it's not the land of Egypt. So right away as readers, we should go, well, what is the land of Egypt like? Well, Egypt had a river that flooded every year, bringing rich soil onto the banks of the Nile. Agriculture was super easy. Fresh water was in abundance. Uh, the land itself gave, gave Egypt, the nation, the ability to be a world dominating empire just because of the way the geography is. So Deuteronomy says this land you're going into Israelites, people, chosen people of God is not going to be as easy as the land of Egypt, the land you're going into. And then it goes into this description of the land and it's hills and valleys, and it's a land that doesn't have a river that floods every year. Maybe the Jordan River, but because of the geography, like that doesn't really count. That's just a little bit. So the land you're going into does not have a regular source of water except for rain that comes from heaven. And so the land you're going into is a land for farmers, it's a land for shepherds, it's a land that doesn't have a really easy natural water supply. It's a it's a vulnerable kind of land. It's a land that experiences the influences of the, the desiccating winds that come out of the Arabian desert and the, the winds that come off the Mediterranean Sea. So it's this vulnerable kind of torn apart land and Deuteronomy goes, and guess what? That's the land you're going into. But it is the land God's eyes are upon. And just as God provides the rain for the land, that land will then provide for you. So there's this almost go into the land and learn the lesson from the land. The land is vulnerable, but God is providing for it. And that almost sets the stage completely for when the Israelites are in the land. It's not easy. They don't get to be a world dominating empire, but they're in a position where if they rely on God, God will provide for them. And that lesson comes from the texture and the quality of the land itself. Such a fascinating insight. I mean, it's almost as if God is saying to his people as he's putting them in this land to replace another people that didn't didn't live the way he wanted them to live. But he's it's almost as if he's saying, to live in this land, you have to be like the land. You're yeah. going to be vulnerable. Um, you're going to have to trust me, rely on me to provide. Um, right. And you, you, you have to uh, believe that my eyes are upon you, essentially. Right. That that I'm looking at you. I'm looking at this land. I'm looking at you. Yeah. Um, and therefore, it's it, the, the people certainly are dependent on God. And, and the response of God uh, is related 
to the actions of the people, which is something we see in Deuteronomy, for example. Yep. You know, you'll get the early rains and the late rains, that water from heaven, or you won't. Right. Um, so it's really interesting. I mean, yeah, a number of questions come up in my mind. I don't know how many of them you want to get into. First of all, I think many people don't even know what these early and late rains are. Right. A lot of modern readers, maybe they think, you know, early in the morning, late at night. Um, <laughs> uh, right. But actually, this is integrally related to yeah. the structure of daily and yearly life, the whole cycle of physical life in the land and, of course, the calendar. Um, maybe you want to say a couple words about that before we go on to some other questions that, that occurred to me as you were talking. Yeah, it's such a great thing to highlight because all of us naturally, when we're reading the text, will assign it pictures. We, we take our own environment, we take our own experience, and we read the text according to that. So again, I live in North America. I live in a portion of the United States that has four very distinct seasons. And so I hear people talk all the time about winter, spring, summer, fall, <laughs> when it comes to the Bible. And I, I always want to stop people and go, actually, there's two seasons. There's a rainy season and a dry season. And then you could kind of say there's transitional bits where those two seasons meet up together. But even just knowing that there's two seasons that are dominating the way that you live your life when you're intimately connected to the land, like ancient people were, and many people around the world still are very connected. If you come from a farming family, you understand that connection to the land. So early rains and latter rains are the earliest rains that come at the very beginning of the rainy season. And the latter rains are the rains that come at the very end of the rainy season. When the latter rains are done and we enter into the dry season, there you're not going to get any rain for several months on end. And then you get the early rains again. These two rains, even though the greatest quantity of rain will fall during the span of the rainy season, the early rains and the latter rains are most essential for the success of the agricultural industry. So the early rains are necessary because the land has just been baked hard under the Middle Eastern sun for several months during the dry season. It In the areas that are kind of clay-ish, you know, the, the soil feels like a hard rock. And so you need these early rains that tend to be really gentle. They they fall or just a little bit will fall. Uh, and those are essential for hitting the soil, soaking into the hard crust of the soil and allowing the farmer to get a plow through the soil to break it up so that as you enter the rainy season, that rain will actually be absorbed uh, by the earth. The latter rain is really important because as the rainy season tapers off and now the earth is starting to produce all the vegetation, the latter rains are the last little push of water coming from the heavens uh, that 
is your last little access to water that it has to carry all the rest of the plants through to fruition. Hmm. So these early and latter rains are marking how successful the agricultural calendar is going to be. And so when God says that when his people are faithful to his covenant, he will be faithful to bring the early and latter rains, uh, which is the promise that he will take care of them in that year. And one of the things I love that we often overlook is even in these promises, God says, and you will have your barley and wheat and pomegranates and vines, and like you'll have all the produce of the ground. But then he says, too, it's not just the people he's providing for. He will provide all the grass in the field for their flocks. So there's there again is this God is paying attention to this character, this land as a character saying, I will also provide for the land because the land itself is providing for you. And so there's this nice connection between a healthy relationship between God, his people, the people, the way they treat the land and God providing for the land. So it's this nice kind of circle. And we know when things go awry, when any of those connections are broken. I mean, this is just unbelievably interesting and so many connections arise. I think people listening are probably starting to get a sense of that. Um, you know, if you just understand those basic things that you said about the early and the later rains, then there are so many verses that talk about those different types of rains and they appear suddenly in an entirely new light. Yeah. Um, I don't want to give away all of the juicy tidbits from your course because people really need to take this. And if you're listening to the podcast, go and sign up for this course. You will not regret it. We talk in detail about the calendar and all these aspects related to the calendar. And I always tell people, draw this out for yourself. Throw it into your Bible. You should always have the calendar right next to the text you're reading because hmm. they are so connected and the writers think you already know that information. And so they, they drop little clues here and there and you only catch them if you are, are actually paying attention to things right. like the calendar. Yeah, this is the information you need to understand what they're That's saying. Right. They assume their readers know it because That's their original right. readers did know it or the hearers knew right. that information. They were living in the land. It was part of their everyday life. But people removed by millennia and also, you know, of course, cultural differences and so forth uh, need to be reminded of these bedrock realities that form the context of the biblical text. So that is right. really exciting. And I will say that um, everyone that I've seen who's commented on the course has said it has been amazingly eye-opening. Yeah. A huge new vista appears in terms of understanding the biblical text. And also, uh, you are a fabulous teacher and many people comment on that very lively and excellent at explaining. So again, um, I don't think anyone will regret signing up for this course. And, I know, and if you're listening, you need to. Yeah, people can't see me here on the podcast, but I'm waving my arms around like crazy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I have Italian in my blood, I think. <laughs> very, very engaging. And just one comment before I go to my next question. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit related, but you were talking before about the emotions of the land. And then you just mentioned again how God provides for the land. Um, another thing that's mentioned in the Torah is letting the land rest. 
And it's extremely important. If the people don't let the land rest, then the land is going to spit them out, actually. Yep. And and God supports that. He supports the land spitting them out uh, if they don't let the land rest. So fascinating. Such an interesting physical lesson, as you put it, um, Mm -hmm. how all of this is intertwined. Make sure that you subscribe, like, or follow this podcast on whichever podcast provider you use so you don't miss out on the next couple weeks as we discuss the larger ancient Near Eastern context of the land and what it says about God's vision for his people. Or when we get into the often neglected geographical background of the David and Goliath story. Of course, I think all of this is fascinating, but I really do think you will as well. Thank you for joining us in this new year. If you like what you hear in this podcast, please tell other people about it. You can mention it on social media pages or send this episode to your family and friends. You will probably also love exploring Israel Bible Center flagship certificate program on the Jewish context and culture. It's impossible to go out and conquer the world from that place. And I think even that is just a brilliant thing for us to sit on and say, okay, what does God think about empires? (laughs) What does God think about the way that he wants his people to be an example to the world? If he's purposefully putting them in a place that cannot conquer the world, then maybe that wasn't his goal from the beginning. Or... Follow the link in the episode notes to find out how you can get Listening to the Land of the Bible and many other courses with one small monthly subscription. And as a thank you for listening to this podcast, use the coupon code ISRAEL when you register and you'll receive a free surprise. Thank you to Jeremy McDonald with Mason Jar Music for mixing, editing, and crafting all of the good sounds that you hear. And thank you for being curious about the world of the Bible. I look forward to our conversation next week. Mm-hmm.